0: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we take a populist approach to cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including traffic noise and its link to hypertension, Brits pay more than Aussies for everyday cars, Lexus' next electric vehicle, the RZ mid-sized SUV, and the 75th anniversary since the first Land Rover started work on the Snowy Mountains hydroelectric scheme. In our feature stories, Alan Service reviews the latest Honda HRV small SUV and he struggles to find something good to say. And we discuss with Evan Jones an alarming feature that is prevalent in quite a number of new cars. Their performance in the wet is dismal compared to the dry. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au. This programme was originally broadcast on the 25th of March 2023 and we began. With the news. The Overdrive program has long campaigned that we need sustainable transport not just for climate change, but to reduce health impacts in local areas. A comprehensive study published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology has now shown a link between traffic noise and levels of hypertension and cardiovascular disease. While it is assumed that hypertension is associated with genetic predisposition, it is also being generally accepted that environmental factors are likely to play a part. The study used a sample of nearly 250,000 people who were initially free from hypertension, who were then assessed with a mean follow up period of 8.1 years. The study looked at both 24 hour road traffic noise and nighttime road traffic noise measured in decibels. The analysis suggests that the link to increased rates of hypertension is highest in participants in locations with annual 24 hour mean traffic noise of over 65 decibels and nighttime mean traffic noise over 55 decibels. The interrelationship of factors makes analysis difficult but also highlights compounding effects. Long term exposure to road traffic noise increases the incidence of primary hypertension and the effects were stronger in the presence of higher air pollution. When it comes to small, practical cars, customers in Britain are paying much higher prices than in Australia. This is the conclusion from analysis conducted for Go Auto News and reported by our colleague Neil Dowling. Pitcher partners analysed three popular car models, Mazda 3, MG3 and Toyota Accent Sport. On average, British prices were 35% higher, although this varied significantly. The Toyota Corolla had the greatest price disparity, where a British customer would pay around $20,000 more than an Australian buyer. The relatively high cost of cars in Britain is attributed to three particular factors. Brexit. The UK has yet to make deals with many non-EU countries, which means a 10% import duty. Secondly, Australia has a very competitive market that pushes prices down. And thirdly, foreign exchange rates. The pound is full of uncertainties at the moment, and the Japanese are pricing in some risks. By comparison, the same vehicles were on average 5% cheaper in the United States, including the Corolla. At the other end of the market, high-priced prestige goods showed Australians are paying significantly more than their British counterparts. In May this year, Lexus will start selling its RX 450E, all-electric mid-size SUV. This is the second electric vehicle Lexus will have in our market, but the first on a dedicated all-electric platform. Lexus aims to be offering only hybrid, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles and battery electric luxury vehicles in Australia by 2030. Two RZ450E grades will be offered initially, luxury priced from $123,000 and sports luxury from $135,000. To these recommended retail prices, you have to add on-road costs. Both are powered by a 71.4 kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery, producing 230 kilowatts of power and providing a driving range of 470 km with an electric motor on each axle making them all-wheel drive. Lexus faces stiff competition in this segment. The current price for Tesla's Model Y all-wheel drive is just under $98,500 plus on roads, and Hyundai's IONIQ 5, a vehicle not without considerable features, is $77,500. The Genesis GV70 has a more prestige image. Its performance, all-wheel drive, has much more power than the Lexus, but slightly less range, but most features are standard, and is priced at $127,500, that's $7,500 cheaper than the top Lexus vehicle, All prices are before on-road costs. During the Easter holidays this year, Kuma will be the focus of the 75th anniversary of the first Land Rover, the Series 1, which would later become the Defender, starting work on the Snowy Mountains hydroelectric scheme. The vehicle was launched in 1948 and construction on the Snowy scheme started a year later. Management of the Snowy Mountains Authority had initially tested ex-army jeeps, but the British workhorse was chosen as the better option. More than 700 Land Rovers would get their way to the high country, making up one-third of the total Snowy Mountains Authority fleet. The event will celebrate all sorts of Land Rovers, from those used in the fire services to farms all over the country. Organisers are confident the 2018 record of more than 700 Land Rovers in one location will be broken. To add to the occasion, LEGO Icons Classic have produced a Land Rover Defender 90 kit. It is a detailed assembly, including a roof rack, raised air intake, front bumpers with working winch, side rails, tool box and traction plates for crossing mud and sand. It also has working steering and suspension, opening doors and bonnet and an interior with details based on the full-size classic Defender. The 2,336-piece set will cost $369.99. I know some real landies that cost less. And that has been the news. Honda's had a lovely history over the years. It's developed great technology. A long while ago, sometimes you hopped in the car and thought, is this special? And then you drove it for a while and it became very comfortable and familiar with you. In fact, I once uh, had a person working for me who took a Honda legend out to her family who were all Holden drivers and they were over the moon. But where is it now? It seems to have stumbled perhaps just a little bit. We've just driven the HRV, their small or compact SUV, and Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys gave it a particularly interesting review. Alan, what was the heading on your review? Uh, I think I might
1: have mentioned uh expensive underbaked pudding.
0: Do you remember the first HRV? It was a little square one with a, a chisel nose. I thought it looked like a rubber—sorry, a, a pencil rubber.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> this may come as a shock, but I—I I didn't think it was any other kind. I thought it looked like a boat, Yeah. and that actually lasted, um, well, almost unchanged for what a decade or more.
0: Was that long? Yeah. Very squarish, but the front then chiseled down. Mm. It was different on the market. I don't know that it sold particularly well. But as with all cars has grown a bit, how would you describe the exterior look of the new HRV?
1: Bland, bland, bland. And in fact, in my story, I described the front as the brick bungalow with brick bungalow-coloured Venetians.
0: <laughs> that, that, that's good. It has a grill which was the same red colour in the red colour car we had, which was just looked like it was something from Bunnings that you bought, for, yeah, for your bungalow and just put it on the front and was no different in any particular way.
1: Whereas the previous model had uh, character lines and whether or not you liked the design was beside the point. It made you look at it. It, it, it had little creases and crevices and little interesting pieces to look at. Hmm. This one, your eye just keeps sliding off it. It's, there's nowhere for it to stop. It's 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 bits of other cars. The taillights look like they're nicked from an MG and the headlights look like they're nicked from Mazda. And look, it wouldn't be all so bad if it had some redeeming features. For example, we've still got a CVT. We've still only got front-wheel drive. And none of the drivetrains are more than 100 kilowatts.
0: The CVT is not a particularly good one either.
1: I did try it in sport mode, and that uh, remedied the situation somewhat, but it still made the pistons scream for mercy. It sounded like they were going to jump through the bonnet and bash me to death.
0: Do you remember the S2000?
1: Oh, that was silky.
0: coupes, coupe, uh, sports car, sports car. Up to 6,000 revs per minute, it sounded wonderful. It then went to nine, and it sounded Formula One. It sounded almost...
1: I don't know, a sort of motorcyclist in it, in its high-pitched wail. But the thing is, it went like absolutely grease lightning. And, of course, it was a convertible, and they're collector's items today.
0: Talking about this one, let's get back. I'm confused. If you're going to create a position worldwide, is there not a unity in, in and a cleverness in the way you name a car and how you present that in every market?
1: i think the question you're asking me is why did they name it a different name in america and that was a question i put to honda today and they said well the answer is that the hiv sold here is not the hiv sold in america okay <laughs> so, so it was a pr-esque answer but I, I don't know i think it's extremely confusing and i can't understand for the life of me so the the hiv we've got here isn't sold in America at all, which is, I think, just bizarre. And it also explains, David, why it's only a four seater, another black mark against it.
0: There's not three in the second row.
1: Correct. And that was because the ADR um, regulations required re-engineering in order to get that middle seat position uh, for a seatbelt and so forth. And it wasn't worth it for a few hundred cars a month.
0: The disadvantage of being in a right-hand car market, is that part of it? Yes, yes, that's
1: right. Well, being in our particular market, I think it is sold in other right-hand markets. But the point is that our particular design regulations required something else, something in particular. And it usually revolves around, you know, ISOFIX and kids' seats and the way uh, the, the tethers work. And you might notice that's why some cars, are, I think it's KIAs, for example – They've got that middle seat belt coming down from the roof.
0: Now there's the HRV in America and the CRV, and there's another one coming, the ZRV.
1: So the ZRV and the CRV are both on the same platform as the Honda Civic, so the latest generation of Honda Civic, and the HRV, the one we get, is based on the Jazz, so it's on the Jazz platform. Now when that ZRV arrives, it will sit between. The HIV and CRV. Isn't that confusing?
0: Is there room for it to fit?
1: It can't be that much difference between the two, surely. But I think as far as the actual car goes, what they're doing is putting cars in where sedans once were and hatchbacks once were that won't in a few years exist. So, remember we had the Jazz, the Civic and the Accord. Hmm. And now we've just got the...
0: HRV. CRV and XRV is sort of a triplet, yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: And that's what I said to them. I don't really understand the nomenclatures, but you know, uh, lots of different car companies have it. But I also pointed out in my article that you can have very confusing nomenclatures and you can still have a forecourt chock a block full of different models like BMW and Mercedes Benz.
0: I was going to mention Mercedes, it's certainly got uh, a difficulty yet. That doesn't seem to hold people back. This uh, Honda HRV, we had the base model. Was it full of features? Of course, it wasn't cheap. We'll come to that in a while. Full of features? It had features.
1: It had uh, some things that I liked very much. For example, it had wireless CarPlay, something I liked very much, something you like, although we both, I think, find it difficult to use at times, and this one did take a while to connect. But. The Android Auto still requires a USB, Ah, okay, which is annoying. Uh, But it's got eight cup holders, which I think is is pretty good. It's also got climate control, David, but only one zone and a semi-digital driver's dashboard.
0: Yes, it's got a nine-inch screen, is it, I think, Uh, which is not huge in that. And as you say, it's with wireless Apple CarPlay, but plugged in. Android auto and but there is at least navigation within the system itself. So the safety features, it's got lane keep assist, lane departure warning, road departure mitigation system. It doesn't in the base model have things like blind spot information, rear cross traffic. You have to really go to the higher version to get a considerable number of standard features in other cars.
1: I think the blind spot is something that Honda have struggled with for a very long time because remember up till relatively recently all they had was what they call lane watch which was the camera on the left-hand side that brought up a, an image on the central screen so now they they're putting blind spot in because you need that for 5 stars but I don't know how they've gone with 5 stars when it's uh not got blind spot across the range
0: maybe they argue they're not going to sell any <laughs> are only going to sell the top ones. And the top ones you've got to go to to get rear vents and U- rear USB ports, leather seats, rain sensing wipers. There's a lot of cars that have those as, as base features. Now, what's the price? What, what have I got to pay for this so-called luxury? Oh,
1: um, David. I- This is the thing. So as I went through my story, I pointed out that it's a fabulous car for $26,700. However, it costs $36,700. And the hybrid, David, $45,000.
0: That's the upmarket one I didn't mention, has hybrid. I wonder if it's a big hybrid or just a mild hybrid.
1: I think they've gone the full shebang this time. And again, Honda has had a a few growing pains. They were fairly early on the hybrid bandwagon, but they didn't stick with it. So they they were, I think, in fact, they even beat Toyota. But the problem was they, they mucked it up a couple of times, gave up, and then again over the last decade, they've had several hybrid models again. Mild hybrids and people, I think, wanted to see the advantage of driving along with a EV-only mode.
0: They didn't get to that.
1: They didn't get to that, but the new one has it. And, of course, the Accord that you and I drove a little while ago also has that.
0: They're not making their presence felt in the market, are they?
1: They seem to have gone wrong. So they started with something big. And, again, we've seen this happen before, David, with much bigger players, Holden. They didn't meet the market. Their market share went down and down and down and down and down until finally they exited Australia altogether. And if Honda's not very careful, it's going to go the same way.
0: And that market is features and efficiency and very competitively priced, given particularly the Chinese coming into the market.
1: Absolutely. So people want features. They want something that's nice looking. They want something that's nice to drive. But I think the main driver is price. And we've seen that with the way uh, the Chinese brands, some of the Chinese brands have entered the top 10 and then they've rocketed up. You know, they it, MG is just going great guns.
0: Honda is now in about 18th position in the Australian market. It is behind Audi, LDV, Tesla, Suzuki, is well ahead of it. BMW, GWM, Great War Motors, is uh, right up there. That's about 12th. Nissan, Mercedes, Volkswagen, I'm going up the list rather than down. These are all companies that are well ahead of Honda. That's not a great reflection on where they are compared to where they have been.
1: Well, I think like Mazda, Mazda made this decision as well to go up market the thing is Mazda looks and feels upmarket and the interior of the lower model Hondas doesn't feel upmarket. It doesn't feel like it should have that premium price and I'm not quite sure whether they're pricing themselves out of the market because the competition isn't.
0: Some people that got in it and just had a bit of a look felt that it was familiar in their old sense and perhaps it's not the shock of the new that many electric vehicles and others, you know, all the screens and information that come to it. Perhaps there's a very old part of the market that they may still appeal to?
1: Well, the problem is that old part of the market is diminishing. You get into it, and I mentioned that Kia Seltos Sport Plus by way of comparison. So the Seltos, some of them have the screens right across like uh, in, in the, the upper models as well. They've got a nicer nicer feeling dash they've got a more more complex interior a more comfortable interior they've got seat heating they've got dual zone air conditioning and they've got outlets in the back plus usbs everywhere Hmm. Uh, not only that and i think this is probably the really important thing yes the kia doesn't have a hybrid but it does have all-wheel drive and the torsion bar rear end is replaced by multi-link in those all-wheel drive models, something that's not even available on an HRV, and it's for less money.
0: And then again, Kia has gone up in price a bit and with its features, and the Chinese are now coming in below that. So it's anyone that's not doing well in either of those areas is going to struggle. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. As always, David, thanks for having me. And that's Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys, who has just been testing the Honda HRV with some disappointing results. You're listening to Overdrive. I was driving a press car the other day, and for a while there was a period where the road was wet, and the handling of the car was totally different, in fact, very precarious in terms of its grip on the road. I think this is a major issue. Now, our road testing expert, Evan Jones, has driven a range of cars, both in the dry and in the wet. Evan, is that a real test of a car, that those two different conditions shouldn't be as widely different
2: as cars make them? Well, it should be that um, in day-to-day driving, the difference in in their handling should be minuscule uh, for the safety of the driver and its passengers. But you're right, there are a lot of cars out there that uh, are very different between they're wet and dry and I think it has obviously has a lot to do with their tyres being the only contact with the road, Um, indeed I've had cars myself where I've had one set of tyres on and the thing's been absolutely dangerous, I've replaced them and it's suddenly become one of the safest cars I've ever driven. Um, The car itself didn't change and in the dry it basically didn't change but in the wet Tire choice is very, very important. Mm.
0: That's a critical issue. I spoke to a guy who used to work in the tire industry and I had colleagues that did so too, and quite often people would come in and say, I want to get some tires for the cars. What's your cheapest? And the person would say, who's going to use it? And they'd say, oh, I need the wife and kids, which ultimately says, you know, how much do you love them? Not so much as what it might mean in the dry, but how significantly different it can be in the wet as you say It's and and it's not cornering hard is it it's doing things like simple grip off the line which with some cars suddenly shudders and catches you out that that
2: uncertainty
0: doesn't help your driving
2: correct and um with the proliferation now of roundabouts where you need to get into the roundabout quickly You need to get out of the roundabout quickly. You need to be able to change direction. And uh, if you can't do that with confidence, you could end up with quite a nasty incident in said roundabout involving you. Unfortunately, you'll be involved because all the cars approach you on the right-hand side.
0: And the thing you mentioned there is that you're coming out of a curved area and accelerating. I was in a car the the other day and it got wet there was two lanes turning right at traffic lights but soon after you turned right the lanes merged so it was an effort to get capacity through the lights and let people work it out pretty soon after in turn with the merge I was in the outer lane the inner lane car which might have had priority didn't move quickly so I accelerated just a little bit more and the car became twitchy and that and and I was caught between trying, as I was then a, a bit ahead of the car, I wanted to get well ahead and, you know, to make a safe merge, but I didn't want to accelerate too hard because it was so twitchy. I, I could have run anywhere. I didn't know what would happen with the car, but I am assumed, I think quite rightly, that if I had have accelerated hard, I would have been in trouble. It's those varying situations, not just hard cornering, that can
2: catch you out. As you, as you know, I'm not a big fan of a lot of driver aids, um, but traction control is one that I accept because it's, for most people, probably including me, in the wet, you need it, particularly mm. if you don't know what type of tyres been fitted. Um, so I think while well, like land keeping and all that, you know my views on that. But traction control um, uh, or anti-skid if you like is uh, in today's um, environment very, very important. Mm.
0: It, it it helps you with the unexpected, and I think that's a, a very important point. Braking is another issue. Uh, a colleague of mine some years ago was working for a magazine, and uh, they selected the Camry as a very good car, I think the car of the year. But then they took it to a track and compared it with the original tyres, some very poor, well, cheap tyres, and some more perhaps appropriate tyres, and the difference in braking between the good and the bad was about 20 metres from 60K. That's an enormous distance and one that you know could lead to a catastrophe. So, yeah, something to think about. One other story. He, he said he he worked for a real high-performance cars where people would come in and say, I've got to change the tyres. I only got 20,000 out of them, so put on the cheapies. They're advised against it. They'd come back later and saying, "What have you done to my car?" It's a, you know, I had a service and it's a wreck. Well, what tyres did you put on it? They then changed them back after a while, having got less kilometres out of them, only twelve thousand, and found that the car was wonderful again. It's it's uh, uh, it's uh, paying for you know you pay for what you get in many ways. I'm not saying every expensive tyre is better, but Going for the cheapest alone and only on price
2: can be dangerous.
0: Uh, yeah, Evan, yeah, yeah, yes, go
2: yeah, ahead. I say, you only, you only have to watch. So let, let's use Formula One as a classic example. <clears throat> Obviously, that's the best of everything. But you have a look at the difference of, um, of performance between a soft tire, a medium tire, and a hard tire, all mm. made by the same manufacturer. Obviously, all made to the best possible uh quality control but the difference in the handling of the same car is quite marked and then when when you uh joe average goes out and decides oh i've got my performance car the tires are too expensive you put the crap on what do you expect mm. what do you expect we are also
0: working towards tires that are low resistance in order to get better miles per gallon but yeah. i wonder that the other consequences of that, which is not, uh, again, wanting to be a hoon, but in terms of braking and safe cornering, particularly in wet conditions. Evan, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, man. And that was our road test expert, Evan Jones, talking about striving to ensure that a car handles well, both in the dry and in the wet.
3: This is Overdrive across Australia. Larger utes, termed mid-size pickup trucks, are becoming more popular. Chevrolet has just released their 2023 models of the popular Silverado 1500 model. Chev Silverado comes out of the factory as a left-hand drive and is remanufactured in a plant in Australia. The new Silverado 1500 comes in two models aimed at two different subsections of the market. Both have the same engine-transmission combination. Both have the same cavernous interior space and tub. The major differences are in the details, bling and functionality. The LTZ Premium could be an alternative for premium SUVs and four-wheel drive wagons. The ZR2 is definitely aimed at buyers that are more adventurous and want to do some serious four-wheel drive work. They come with a 6.2-litre V8 petrol engine and a 10-speed automatic transmission, dual-range four-wheel drive capability. They will tow up to 4,500 kilograms depending on the model. The latest Silverado 1500 is priced from $128,000 for the LTZ Premium, and the ZR2 is available from $133,000 plus the usual on-road costs. This is a Motoring Minute, I'm Rob Fraser.
0: And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Alan Service, Evan Jones and Mark Wesley for their great help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.